This is wild. <laughs> the two of you, I mean, it's a little unnatural, but wow. Hey guys, I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And welcome to Unnatural. We are back. Yes. For part two of the Tanya Cash story. And boy, was part one pretty uh, earth shattering. I had never heard about this case before. Just learning about her story and how she got involved with this guy, her upbringing, it really drew you in. And I can't imagine where things go from here. Oh, it's 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 a wild ride for sure. But it it kind of has a happy ending. Good. So let's I like happy endings. Let's do it to it. Well, not not that way. Oh my god. listen to part one go back and do that because you're probably going to have really no idea what we're talking about if you come in right here but if you don't want to listen to part one because of you being weird and lame here's a brief synopsis of what we talked about last time we talked about tanya's tumultuous childhood, her abusive parents, and the beginning of her relationship with one Tom Hose, who is the one who has held her captive. Now, where we left off, Tanya is just a couple months into her imprisonment, and she wasn't very happy, and she decided that she wanted to leave. But Tom looked at her square in the face and said, quote, if you ever try to leave me, I will kill you. That would make me not want to leave. Yeah. And he, you know, she's a couple months into her imprisonment. And this whole time, he's just been beating it into her head that nobody cares about her. He's the only one that cares about her. If he leaves, you know, she'll be he'll either kill her or she will be out on the street with nothing and no one and basically like if he doesn't kill her somebody else will yeah. you know and she's a teenager teenagers are pretty vulnerable anyway so yeah she's 14 years old at this point now at this point in time another young girl had been found murdered and a few years later another one went missing their names were kimberly Krim and anna marie callahan respectively both of them were students at the same school tanya went to both of them looked pretty similar to tanya and kimberly's body was found in a cemetery that you you could see from the window of tom's house wow so people were starting to connect the dots and probably think maybe the killer also killed tanya we just haven't found her body yet yeah, that's that's kind of what was going on. According to Tanya, Tom knew details about how her body was placed and what she looked like that wasn't reported in the papers. Mm. So Tanya was kind of thinking, well, shit, did he 
kill her too. So yeah. Or I'm thinking, did he just say that to fuck with her, to scare her, too? Yeah, that could totally be. I mean, no, Kimberly's case remains unsolved. That's interesting, because I'm just trying to get inside his mind, and I'm not saying he wouldn't have done something like that, but he was also grooming her at the time and trying to make her afraid and want to stay there and... Totally sounds like something he would do. Yeah. Well, allegedly, when, spoiler alert, when Tom is in jail, a snitch said that he admitted to killing Kimberly, but I don't know if that was really ever substantiated, investigated, or if it's true, but there are other theories out there that she, that this Kimberly was having an affair with a cop and she threatened to tell and the cop killed her and the department covered it up. Damn. That could be a whole yeah. separate episode right there. It could be. It might be. We'll see. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, Tanya is naturally, you know, coming. She's being brainwashed. She's becoming more fearful of Tom thinking, well, did he did he kill her? Did he kill the other girl? You know, and he made it known to Tanya that he had threatened to kill his ex-wife. And that's how he got custody of his son, Justin. And she says, like, she is confident that he that Tom had a plan to eventually murder his ex-wife and her boyfriend. What the fuck? So he gets custody of his son by threatening to kill his ex-wife? I don't Well, he threatens his ex-wife into giving him custody oh, okay. basically. God. What a crazy ass. Yeah. So he is very very crazy and you know Tanya like we mentioned was under the impression that her family was not looking for her. Nobody cared about her. And she figured basically that living with Tom was the lesser of two evils. But her family was looking for her. According to Tanya's book, during her captivity, her picture was distributed on over 400 million milk cartons. Wow. And there was one, this, this, there's things that just kill me because she should have been found pretty much immediately. Yeah. Because a so couple, much sooner. Yeah. Well, a couple months into her imprisonment, her mom called Tom's house looking what? for her. Yes. Because like we talked about in episode one, when Tanya ran away and wanted to live with her mom, she called Tom to say, hey, I can't stay here. So her mom saw the long distance charge on the phone bill, oh. called the number, and Tom was like, I don't know your daughter. You know, she called the wrong number. Bullshit. Wow. And then, you know, he was telling Tanya she was only upset about the phone charge. She didn't ask about where you were or anything like that. And her mom reported this charge, this charge on the phone bill to the police. And they didn't do anything? Saying they didn't do a goddamn thing. What the fuck? Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Now, another woman, an unnamed woman, called the house, talked to Tom's mom, because remember, Tom lives with his mom and dad (laughs) and Justin, his son. So this woman calls and says, 
Tanya Cash is at your house, and if you like, don't let her go or don't say anything, I'm calling the police. Well, Tom's mom, Eleanor, is like, I don't know what the hell you're talking. Like, there's nobody here. Mm-hmm. Because she probably thought if there was a 14 year old girl living in my house, I would know about well, it. And that's I, I keep going back to that myself because, and I'm not blaming his parents because it's not their fault. But how the hell do you not have any sort of inkling after however many years that there's a girl staying in your house? Well, Tanya says in her book that she memorized the floorboards. So she knew because they're in the second story bedroom. Tom always kept the door locked. Yeah. And she knew exactly where she could step that would not make noise. Right. But anyway, so this this woman did call the cops. They showed up to the house in 96 and Tom was like, go in the closet, lock yourself in the closet, stay there. So they asked about Tanya and he was like, don't know nothing about it. Don't know her. Don't know nothing. And then the cops were like, well, you know, we got a report that she's in the house. You mind if we come inside? And look, and Tom was like, well, you know, like my my parents are elderly. They're sleeping. It's late at night. It would really be a shame to wake them up for nothing. They left. Never came back. Never came back. Never did a follow up. Nope. Wow. Yeah. It's just it's sick. Yeah. Speaking of sick, during her years in captivity, Tanya became sick multiple times and Tom never allowed her to get any sort of treatment. At one point in time, she got pink eye and he gave her Visine to treat it. And she dealt with it for two weeks until it finally just worked its way out of her system. And there was, you know, anytime she got the flu or a cold, Tom made her go into the closet and shut the door so her so his parents wouldn't hear her coughing. Wow. Now, throughout the years, you know, she she had the same routine every day for nine years. She would wake up when Tom and Justin woke up. And she locked herself in the bedroom. She said her prayers. She watched Good Morning America and listened to the radio with headphones plugged into the TV. She would read magazines. And eventually she started to become really OCD about things in the bedroom because, mm-hmm. I mean, what else are you going to do? Yeah, you're locked in there for years at a time. Yeah, and it got so bad to the point that it, she even started to fear certain numbers. And she says those numbers were the number 3, 6, 8, 9, and 13. Hmm. Does she explain why she was so afraid of those numbers? No, not that I not she didn't mention anything in the book and like in the couple documentaries I was able to watch. She never said really specifically why those yeah. numbers. Well, and when it's OCD, it's not always even comprehensible why. Right. Eventually, when Tom's parents would go away for the weekend, Tanya was allowed out of the bedroom. And the third Thursday of every month, they went to church gatherings for two hours During this time, she was allowed out, and then that's when she could take a bath, wash her face, wash her hair. So, she she took a bath once a month. Wow. Yeah. 
Man. I know. Isn't that... Can, can you imagine? I'm sure she looked forward to that like a little kid looks forward to Christmas. I mean... Yeah. Yeah. She said that, you know, during this point in time, that, that Thursday was her favorite day of the month, day of the week. Yeah, I bet. Too bad his parents didn't get out more. Yeah, right? Well, and then the holidays, too. She spent the first four years in his bedroom during the holidays, too. She had to hide in the closet. She would be in the closet and she could hear Tom's parents, Bud and Eleanor, and Tom and Justin downstairs, you know, having a good time, talking about how thankful they were for each other. They would exchange gifts and, you know, they would just praise each other. And she just had to sit there and listen. Just ugh, heartbreaking. Now, keep in mind, you know, this this whole time, he keeps, Tom keeps reiterating to her, nobody cares for you. I am the only person that cares. And he would say things to her like, I trained you my way. You're my property. You belong to me. Most of this was in regards to sex. So much so to the point that he would buy these little like like planners and he would have her write down every time they had sex what they did like she would color code it like this like yellow meant oral blue was anal pink was like regular sex because he would go because you know he he told people that he had a girlfriend so he would go and brag about it with this journal it's so wow gross that is seriously fucked up yeah now, eventually, her dad, Tanya's dad, and Joanne, her stepmom, moved away, and her mom got married to Craig, who we talked about in episode one. Now, Tom was more than happy to show Tanya the records of her dad's move, the the marriage announcement in the newspaper, and he would tell her, you know, they've moved on. They don't care about you. Yeah. Just trying to reinforce that in her mind. Yeah. And she she started to become pretty discontent with being locked up in a room. And she she like was basically begging him to be able to leave. And this fucker was, was just gaslighting her at every turn. You know, he would he would say things like, quote, who saved you and who takes care of you? And she would be like, you. And he would be like, or she would be like, you, but I can't live like this. Yeah. And he was like, you can't live like this. You would destroy my life if you left. I'm the only one that loves you. And if you leave, I'll kill myself. Shut up. Which, as we know from the Jolie Callen episode, I cannot stand a person who threatens suicide. Yeah, same. To keep their partner. Same. Not the best strategy, you piece of shit. No. The thing, it makes me so mad that A, people do this, and B, it works. Mm Mm-hmm. Eventually, 
Tanya and Justin became friends. They would play games together and watch TV. And he was super into meteorology. And she took an interest too. And and during the first few years, they kind of had like a brother-sister relationship. But yeah, she did say as he got older and he was also being poisoned and manipulated by his father. Oh, I'm sure he was. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he he would threaten Justin, like, you better not fucking tell anybody that she's here. You can't tell anybody about her. I'll beat your ass or, you know, like whatever. Mm-hmm. But then Tanya does say that when she was around 17, Justin and he was younger than her. Justin would like peek at her while she was changing. And he even tried to get her to have sex with him. And he molested her a few times. So clearly the apple doesn't fall far from the tree here. Yeah. And then eventually as she got older, Tom started making promises that like, oh yeah, you know, I'll get us a place of our own. So you don't have to stay in the bedroom. But Surprise, surprise, he always had an excuse for why it didn't work out. Like, he couldn't afford it, or it wasn't big enough, or it wasn't nice enough. It wasn't this, it wasn't that, blah, blah, blah. You would think if you were somebody like him, as fucked up as he was, that the first thing that you would be trying to do is get your own place so you could get her out of there and have her all to yourself and not be worried about her being caught. But clearly, this is somebody who is just beyond fucked up. Yeah. Well, I think what a lot of it was, was that if he kept her confined, he kept her controlled. Yeah, that's true. You know? Mm-hmm. And then another thing here. Okay. So, she, when she turns 18, you know, she's she's been captive here for four years now. You You grow a lot. In those years. And Tom wasn't exactly going to Walmart, hanging out in like the junior girls section, buying her clothes. She was was wearing Justin's clothes and Tom's clothes for four years. Like when she outgrew hers. Oh, my God. She's pooping and peeing in a bucket in the bedroom because she can't go out. The way this poor girl was living just absolutely breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. But. A little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel here. She turned 18, right? And one weekend when Tom's parents were away, he let her out and let her go to the store to buy some clothes for herself. Hmm. Now, he figured that it's been four years Nobody's going to recognize her. Nobody, you know, because she, she, her disappearance wasn't really in the newspapers or anything. Yeah. So he was like, well, you know, maybe it's safe to, you know, just kind of give, give her a little, a little crumb of freedom. But Tom had to have control over all of this. He said, this is the bus route you take. This is the store you go to. This is what time the bus comes back. You have to be back by X amount of time. And she does say that she did think about just not going back, but then her thoughts turned to his threats of suicide, him telling her, well, you'll be dead. You'll be out on the streets if you ever leave. So she didn't. She went back. 
Mm-hmm. And she she said that this it was it was almost kind of like a culture shock being out in public after four years of being confined to a bedroom. She didn't really know exactly how to interact with people. I bet. And then um, it messes with you. It has to being yeah. in confinement that long. Yeah. Not not only has the world changed because the world's changing all the time anyway, but you've changed. You're you're not the same person you used to be. You're not as gregarious. You you don't know how to interact with people. It's got to be really messed up in your head to even go through something like yeah, that. Yeah, because she said that she she like felt a sense of relief when she made her way back to Tom's house. Yeah, I bet. Now in September of 2000, he let her out to go shopping again when his parents were away for the weekend. I think he was kind of giving her. Just these little tastes of freedom to see what she was going to do if she was going to come back. And she did both times. And then eventually at nighttime, he started letting her out of the house to sit on the back porch for fresh air when his parents were good and asleep. Mm -hmm. So she's getting she's getting these little bits of of freedom because she she started to kick it up a notch about complaining about being confined so i think he was like all right if i just give her like these little bits like these little these little things here or there she'll lay off she'll appreciate it yeah and she did and then justin's 17th birthday was approaching and she was begging tom to let her go to this little deli mart supermarket store down the street to get him a present. Now, Tom was hesitant of this because it's a small store in a small town. The owner would either maybe recognize her for who she was, or he would say, that's a new person coming in here. You know, kind of how things work in in small towns. A, A stranger comes into your store. You're like, oh, who are you? Yeah. You're Snoopy. You're nosy. Yeah. But Tom being Tom devised a detailed plan, gave her a script, basically, you know, saying, well, if the guy asks you this question, this is how you answer. And it went well. You know, she got the gift and she around this point in time, she was allowed to shop at a handful of stores a few times a year. But, you know, at first that was that was so great for her. She was like, yes, I get to go. I get to get out of the house. I get to do something. Be independent. Yeah. Yeah. But then after a while, that wasn't enough. So she was really struggling to hide her desire to leave. Mm -hmm. So then Tom is like, all right, all right, all right. Here's what I'll do. I'll get in touch with a lawyer to see what our options are. Because, you know, you've been missing for so long and, you know, this, that, and whatever. So he leaves, you know, and then he comes back and he's like, well, yeah, you know, I talked to the lawyer and he said, like, right now there's there's not a whole lot he can do for you, for us, for this. Do you hear that siren going off? That's the bullshit detector. The bullshit detector is going off very loud right now, Emily. He didn't go to a fucking lawyer. No, no. Like the lies that this dude will come up with. I want to know where this man got all of that goddamn audacity because he needs no. to put it back. No shit. 
So then he started buying her gifts, specifically makeup from an Avon lady who was also a teacher at the school. So every, I mean, like I mentioned before, everybody knows he has a girlfriend. Nobody's seen this girlfriend. Nobody's questioning it. This lady at the school knew about his relationship with the missing girl. I just, the the fact that if, if all things considered, it was so blatantly obvious where the fuck she went and nobody just did it. Oh, I mean, yeah, everybody just half-assed it. Yeah. Now, at one point in time and like, oh, I'd be so pissed if I was her. Yeah. in like 2003, 2004, Bud got sick and he and Eleanor barely left the house. So Tanya lost out on a lot of her freedom. She wasn't allowed to go out really anymore because they weren't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So she's complaining. She's like, Tom, like, I can't be staying in this bedroom like this. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I don't know. In some weird <laughs> way to just get her to shut the fuck up. In November of 2004, he proposes to her. Yeah. Let's get married, even though nobody can ever see you. Yeah. Because in 2004, she's 23. So she's like 22, 23 at this point in time. Something like that, yeah. Okay. So Bud gets better for a little while. She gets a little bit more of her freedom. Then little like a year and a half later in April 2005, Mm-mm. shit changes again because Justin began working the night shift. So he was home and sleeping during the day. So she had to be extra silent because he would throw a fit if he wasn't able to sleep and be awake for her his night shift job. So she couldn't watch TV or listen to the radio mm-hmm. or anything like that. She just basically had to sit there and read books or magazines and be quiet because Bud's health worsened again and he never left the house. So she's just, she's stuck again and she's complaining about it. Yeah. And then Tom started complaining about everything, especially mm-hmm. her bathroom bucket. So much so to the point that he would just neglect taking it out. He wouldn't give her toilet paper she had to use notebook paper (laughs) now she says around this point in time because she's so like she's she must be experiencing cabin fever to the max so much so to the point that she was just so unhappy she contemplated suicide but oh my god she was still she still had her faith in her religion so she was like you know i can't i can't do that and she was praying to god for you know a way out yeah mm-hmm. and so she started to really kind of put her foot down with tom and was like i need more freedom i need to get out of here i need to leave i need something so a way out she adopted an alias, Nikki Diane Allen. The, the idea was that she could have her freedom. She could, you know, kind of go out and get out, but she needed, she needed a name. She needed a backstory. So they came up with 
that name for her to use when she would, like, be out in public. Bud needed to be hospitalized because he just wasn't getting any better. So, Tom came up with the great idea. Oh, I have a girlfriend. Her name is Nikki. She'll be coming Mm -hmm. by to help out, and she's going to move in to be able to help with you. No. Yep. Even though she'd been moved in for the last... Yeah. You're fucking kidding. For years. (laughs) So she finally got to meet the parents. She did. How weird is that? So she met Bud and Eleanor face to face. They exchanged polite hellos. She, you know, would go grocery shopping with Eleanor every Saturday. She was friendly with Bud and them, but she did say that after a while, Eleanor kind of turned sour towards her Mm -hmm. because Tanya obviously doesn't have really great social skills. Yeah. How could she? Yeah. And um, Tanya was always kind of obsessing over her appearance because she didn't want to be recognized, obviously. And I think Eleanor kind of took that as her being very vain and self-obsessed. And then in the summer of 2005, Tanya started volunteering at a thrift store at the Methodist church. And she started attending services every Sunday. Wow. And one of the, one of the gals that also attended this church that she would talk to a lot was a gal by the name of Joyce Brown, who was a secretary at her school while she was a student and didn't recognize oh, her. Oh, wow. Yeah, which I just find pretty bonkers. Because, I mean, if you look at Tanya, and her 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 hair wasn't dyed anymore, I don't think, because she's a natural blonde. But if you remember from episode one, right away, they dyed her hair red, red yeah. to disguise her appearance for when she was going back and forth between Tom and Judy's house. But I... I mean, I feel like her looks are pretty distinctive. Like, if you look at the pictures from when she was a little girl and the picture that was on the milk carton that got distributed everywhere, and then a picture of her even now, she looks, like, exactly the same. So yeah, I how do you not recognize that? Yeah. but I, but Especially since it was plastered all over the news, all over everything. Yeah, and everybody at the school kind of knew her for being the troubled child. Yeah. So it just, maybe she did recognize her and just was like, I'm, you know, who knows? But Tom didn't like her attending church, the Methodist church specifically, because he wanted her to be a Catholic. And when she said, well, my first, you know, I'm Methodist, that's what I choose to be, Tom cut her off financially. He was like, well, I'm not giving you any money anymore. Hmm. Like a little fucking bitch he is. But that kind of backfired on him essentially because it drove her further away. So she hung out at this convenience store, Deli Mart, called JJ's a lot. And she um, became pretty friendly with the owner. And I guess at one point he offered her a job, but... She couldn't take it because she had no... Social security card. She didn't have a driver's license. Right. None of that. 
So desperate to make money of her own, she kind of got into the world of illegal gambling and became a helper for like a local bookie. But because of her lack of education, she was bad at math. So that didn't really last long for income. Mm-hmm. And then now the more that she's out in public and, you know, kind of forming friendships and relationships with people because, you know, she's she's basically out now. She has her alias. His parents know, you know, she's Tom's girlfriend. But she was starting to realize mm-hmm. that her relationship with Tom wasn't exactly normal. Or maybe what she wanted. Yeah. So her urge to leave intensified. Mm-hmm. Now, she decided that she was going to spend one more Christmas with him. And then she was like, you know what? I'll spend the holiday with him. And then that's it. I need to leave. So her being this absolute sweetheart that she is, she baked cookies and wrapped them all up and gifted them to her friends and Tom's family. But at this point, you know, to, her and Tom aren't getting along very well. Her and Tom's mom aren't getting along very well. And she wanted to spend Christmas with the bookie named Margie. So she's there at JJ's hanging out. And she realizes that a man was staring at her. And she's like, who the fuck are you? And then she's looking at him. He's looking at her. She recognizes him and realizes he recognizes her because this man is the McKeesport lieutenant who dealt with her past cases as a runaway. And he was assigned to look into her disappearance. Wow. You want to know what this guy did? What did he do? Not a goddamn thing. What? What the? Oh, my God. It, what what the hell is going on here? What what is wrong with people? Especially this guy. He works for the police, right? And I think I think I read in her book that he gave a statement like, "Oh no, I didn't really recognize her." But you know that look in someone's eyes on someone's face when they mm-hmm. recognize you. Yeah. So I don't believe that, especially since he knew her from being a runaway. He was the guy that was that showed up to Tom's house looking for her and was the one who was looking into her disappearance. So he knew. Yeah. You can't, you can't tell me he didn't fucking know. He fucking knew. Yeah. So anyway, she goes home and tells Tom about this and he says, Oh, that's, it probably wasn't him. You know, you haven't seen him in a long time. So it it wasn't him. It was probably just a quote, perverted old man staring at you. God. Now in her book, she says, quote, what irony that a perverted old man like Tom Hose would reach such a conclusion. Yeah. No shit. Because Tom's nearly 50 at this point. Yeah. Now Tanya says, That kind of a pivotal moment for her happened in March of 2006 while she was reading a horoscope in the newspaper. Hers said, quote, you will be thinking big thoughts and getting more firmly in touch with your own destiny. Decisions come swiftly. So she took that as a sign that it's time. It's time. She's got to go. She's got to escape now. 
Hey guys, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's absolutely free. And there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a whole lot more. Basically, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah. And you want to know what else? You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, which is really cool. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So she's at JJ's. She reads the newspaper with her horoscope. She's like, it's time to go. Now, her and Joe, the owner of JJ's, who they, you know, they were friends. She was close. And she was just kind of complaining about her relationship with Tom. And uh, Joe kind of snapped at her and was like, why don't you just leave? So she was kind of taken aback and she left. And then the next day, she went back to JJ's and she was playing poker on the little poker machines. And she's sitting there crying. And Joe comes over to her and he's like, hey, what's wrong? And she says, she's like, she asks him if, if he cares about her. And he's like, of course I do. I think if you like my, like a daughter, you know, of course I care about you. And then she she just sits in silence for a little while and she's like, you know, I'm not who you think I am. I've done something horrible, this, that, and whatever. And he was like, well, did you rob somebody? Did you kill somebody? Like, what's going on? Yeah, he's like, what's going on, Nikki? My name's not Nikki. That's exactly what happened. Oh she, says, she says, no, my real name is Tanya Nicole Cash. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. I literally have goosebumps. <laughs> Mind blown right yeah. there. So she tells him everything. And he's now, like, do, do we know? Did, did he recognize the name when she told him or not? I don't know. But, you know, he says he says to her, all right, go home. Go about your day as normal. Just one more time and act normal until the police come. So Joe fucking saves the day hell yes joe yeah so tanya so tanya's at home she's trying to be normal even though she knows what's about to go down yeah and she sneaks away to call joe for updates like what's going on and he goes the cops are on the way Hmm. so she goes and she sits in the living room and the cops arrive And she runs to the door, opens the door for the police officer. And he says, are you Tanya Nicole Cash? And she's like, yes. She says, yes. Yes. So three officers are there. They pull out their guns. They're going upstairs to get Tom. And he's like, what's happening? What's going on? And Tanya, being the boss ass bitch she is, she looks at him and says, it's over. Nice. So Tom's arrested. She was in this house for 10 years, one month, and 11 days. 
Unbelievable. When she was rescued, she was 24 years old. Yeah. Now, the police obviously searched the house afterwards and they've, you know, there was, they've searched the bedroom and they found over 30 of those calendars that Tom made her use to record their sex life. Wow. There was sex toys. They found, you know, the bucket that she had to use as a toilet. They had all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And she um, went back to live with her dad and her stepmom. But, you know, her, her and her family were just kind of slammed in the media. There was a lot of like, wow, yay, she was found. She was gone for so long. Mm -hmm. But then it was also, well, why didn't she leave? Mm -hmm. She was like out and about. Why didn't, why didn't she just leave? There was a lot of victim blaming. People were like, oh, well, I saw her this day at this place and she looked fine. She never asked for help. Just a bunch of bullshit like that. Yeah. To me, they should have maybe turned their blame towards law enforcement. Law enforcement, the school, Tom himself. No shit. Gee. And, um, you know, she she has undergone a lot, even in just those first few months after being rescued. She. She had lots of teeth problems. She had to have several. She had several cavities. She had to have a few root canals. She had an MRI revealed that she had spine issues due to Mm. malnutrition and a lack of physical activity. I bet. She had psoriasis so bad that it left scars. Her vision was affected from the pink eye. She was suffering from anxiety and migraines, PTSD, OCD, like you name it. Yeah. And her dad and Joanne and even her mom were just kind of like, like they, it was a super happy, you know, kind of reunion at first. But then her relationship with her dad and her stepmom and her mom, well, it kind of went back to what it was like. They didn't know how to deal with before. it before. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So even though it had been ten years, she really wasn't happy living with her dad or Joanne, obviously. And then um, in January of two thousand seven, she was able to move in with her mom, which was just like a huge relief for her, I think, because. Um, it got to the point where, according to Tanya, even like even Joanne and her dad were like kind of victim blaming her. That's terrible. Which is yeah. just sick. Yeah. Now, there was a bond hearing. And during that hearing, Tanya took the stand. And, you know, at first she was being really timid and quiet. And, um, you know, Tom's attorney and like. The, you know, whatever they were complaining that they couldn't hear her. And she was like, I like she said, I can't help it. I've been quiet for 10 years. Yeah. What you do know? you expect? You did right. this to me. Yeah. And then she was still on the stand and she kind of found her voice and she she started to speak up with determination and she just detailed her whole ordeal. And at one point she noticed Tom was glaring at her and she turned at him and was like, don't look at me. Good for her. Exactly. That's exactly what I wrote in my notes. Good for her. (laughs) So, Tom was granted bond with conditions. He was put under house arrest. 
and the trial was set to begin in February of 2007, just about a year after she was rescued. But it was delayed because Tom tried to commit suicide by stabbing himself a handful of times the day before the trial was supposed to start. Of course he did. Now, Tom, being the manipulative fuck he is, totally did this to try and get, like, to play up the insanity defense. Now, his bond was revoked. Bullshit. Because he broke the conditions, basically. So he was sent to a secure psychiatric hospital. And the trial kept getting delayed because he was declared incompetent to stand trial. So just doing whatever he could to ensure that this wasn't going to go down. Yeah. But the good news is he did eventually end up taking a plea deal and pled guilty to three counts of involuntary deviant sexual intercourse, aggravated indecent assault, statutory sexual assault, interfering with the custody of a child, corruption of a minor, and child endangerment, and was sentenced to five to 15 years. Mm. I, I didn't hear kidnapping on that. Well, this was a... This was a tactic of Tanya's lawyers because they were like, well, if this goes to trial on charges of kidnapping, they can play the defense like, well, he never, you know, he never came and snatched you and grabbed you and took you. So it's a gray area. Away. Yeah, it was a super gray area. So they figured that. This would be the best, like, if if he took this plea deal, this would be the best way to ensure that he spent yeah. time in prison. Now, Tanya was able to read a victim impact statement, and she, like, just completely annihilated him. Nice. She told him to his face. She was like, you know, everything you said about me and my family was was wrong she's like i can live without you and i can thrive without Mm -hmm. you good for her yeah now he started spewing some bullshit about like fake sorry and he tried to he tried to like boast Mm -hmm. himself up a little bit and the judge said to him quote you give yourself too much credit yeah Now, he had a parole hearing in 2013, which was denied because he lacked remorse and posed a risk to the community. But he is going to be released on February 9th, 2022. So this February, he's going to be released. And which just sucks. Is that because like there's nothing else that can be done here? I mean, it's he's reached his limit essentially of his sentence. Yeah, it's been it's yeah, it's the 15 years. Now, going back to episode one, because we haven't really talked about Judy at all on this episode. She Oh yeah. Because if you remember, she helped Tom. She was an accessory, in my opinion. She was because she knew she knew the whole time she helped him. She let them have sex in her house. So charges were filed against her. Good. And she pled no contest to the charges of aiding and abetting statutory sexual assault, interfering with custody, 
of a child and endangering the welfare of a child and corruption of a minor. And she was sentenced to six to 23 months in jail plus four years probation. But um, I couldn't really find a whole lot about her, except I do think she passed away in June of 2018. Mm. Okay. But Tanya is now estranged from her father they haven't spoken much but she she did go on to get her ged she went to college and she got married in 2018 that's awesome yeah and you know she wrote a book which went on to be a new york times bestseller and she did end up suing the police and the school and judy for damages and i according to the documents i read she won in a civil court hell yep yes hell yes um but then her mom or her dad and her stepmom ended up suing her for slander as well as her former therapist for defamation Now, this therapist Hmm. she mentions in her book offered she wasn't she wasn't getting the treatment that she felt she needed because she was, you know, she was on government assistance. So she she didn't feel like the the therapists that she could access with her type of, you know, insurance and whatever were doing any good for her. Mm -hmm. So this therapist was like, I think just kind of wanted to come in on on like be like a little white knight and she was like I'll 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 treat you free of charge. And Tanya mentioned something about her in her book. So it's just it's just it's it's messy. It's messy messy messy. I could go on and on about this. I wanted to keep this to two parts, but I could ha- I could honestly have easily made this an entire podcast on its own. Yeah. This is well, I mean, I can see why this is really compelling and it does end up giving you a little hope because when you initially started talking about this in part one, I thought this was going to come to a tragic ending. And obviously there were a lot of tragic parts to this, but she's turned it around and she's free. She's married. She's doing well with her life and we don't get to hear that very often in these stories, Emily. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a Facebook page for her book that she updates on pretty frequently. And she's been she started filming in June for a little docu-series that'll be streaming on Fox Nation this month. And she said, quote, I'm telling my horrific story of my ordeal as an advocate against predators and pedophiles in hopes that I can help even one person from falling victim like I had. Now, she just seems today to be so happy and full of light and it's just like a little like a beacon of positivity considering what she's been through and in a facebook post she said quote my motto is you have to turn a negative into a positive and that's what i do and that's what she's done and now she's an advocate yeah and that's what she'll continue to do so yeah that concludes the story of tanya cash good stuff Come hang out with us on Twitter and let's talk about it. You can find us at Unnatural the Pod. Check out our Instagram where we post pictures from 
all the cases that we cover, that is Unnatural the Podcast. We have a Facebook page, Unnatural, a true crime podcast. You can send us a Gmail with case suggestions, funny stories, anything you feel like telling us. We always look forward to that, Unnatural the Podcast at gmail.com. And we do have a Patreon page set up where you can get behind the scenes looks at our recording process, our lives, there's outtakes, ad-free episodes, and much more. That is patreon.com slash unnaturalthepod. And as always, be sure to rate, subscribe, follow, and share us with your friends. So Emily, what are we doing next? In fact, it's in just two days from now. Yeah, we have a extra super spicy special surprise because... We are so excited that we've kicked off season two that we are just going balls to the wall with this because next time you hear from us, we will be interviewing Tanya Cash herself. So you've heard both of the episodes, you've heard her whole story, and now you get to hear from her herself coming up in just two days here on Unnatural. Can't wait for it. We'll talk to you then. See ya. Make good choices and don't get got, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. I'm Andy. <laughs> what? What did I do? Your little head shake was funny. I'm Andy. Okay. <laughs> okay. Start over. Hey guys, I'm Emily. I'm Andy. Okay. And welcome to Unnatural. Yeah, let's start it again. <laughs> hey guys, I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And <laughs> <laughs> uh.
<laughs> I'm Andy. I could do the whole podcast like sounding like some cowboy. Please don't. That's fucked up, Emily. I can't believe that happened to her. I would never. Please continue. Be- <laughs> you got any chewing tobacco? <laughs> oh, God. Stop. And then the was trial that, was, was set. Was that the train? Oh, could you hear that? Yeah, there's a train coming. I hear the train coming. <laughs> coming around. <laughs> I ain't, I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. Oh, I'm sucking for some prison. Time keeps dragging on. On down the sand and tone. Sorry. You really got into that. <laughs> I love Johnny Cash. I fucking I do love like Johnny Cash. Johnny too. Cash. I love the Johnny Cash movie with Joaquin Phoenix and yes. Reese Witherspoon. What about Reese without her spoon? Hello, and welcome to Dark Side, a true crime podcast with a bit of a twist. How does it have a twist, I hear you ask? Well, did you know that it took an accident to discover DNA fingerprinting? Ever wondered who was the first person to be convicted using DNA? Or the first person exonerated for that matter? And how about the first person convicted using genetic genealogy? And no. It wasn't the Golden State Killer, as everyone likes to believe. And have you ever wondered why police can use cell phone companies to ping the phone location of perpetrators or victims, hmm? Well, the answers to these questions lie behind crimes. Crimes that change the way law enforcement and criminal and justice systems operate across the world. Crimes that are only covered on Dark Side. So yes, I cover crimes that change laws, law enforcement, or something positive was born of a tragedy. Oh, I also cover first, last and landmark convictions. So, why don't you come join me to find out the answers to these questions? I'd love to have you along for the ride. As always, it'll be a bumpy one. So until the next episode, please don't forget to stay safe, stay alert. Soos, over and out.